0: Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders, sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum, the B2B growth consultancy. Welcome to this episode of Account-Based Marketing. This is part two of two from our live event in November, where we launched a wave three of the Momentum Customer Buying Index. During this recording, we're joined by our expert panel, CyberFort Group's CTO, Andy Simpson-Piri, and Microsoft's Director of Strategic Account Marketing, Keith Prangenhofer, together with our Group Consulting Director, Guy Phillips, and facilitated by our very own Will Nichols to kick us off.
1: Hello everybody, thanks very much for coming and great to be here with you again. So um, lots of fantastic learnings and findings from this round of, of the data. We're going to have a Q&A session now with our panelists just to really dig into some of those um, findings, find out what's resonating, get some insights, and, and build on, on some of the themes that, that Robert's just taken us through. So we'll be doing that for about 20 minutes or so. Thank you for everyone that submitted questions through the um, live Q&A live chat facility. And please feel free to keep adding questions as we go. Uh, I'll keep an eye on those and do my best to pose those to the panelists. Um, as we go through the next 20 minutes. But before we get going with the questions, I just want to introduce the panel to you. So we have Andy from um, CyberFort Group. I'll I'll ask Andy to introduce himself in a second. Um, We have um, Keith from Microsoft. And so before we get going with the Q&A, if we could just um, turn to Andy, Keith, just to introduce themselves very briefly and uh, just give us a sense of of your role and background. That'd be fantastic. So um, if we start off with Andy, that'd be great. Brilliant.
2: Thanks, Will. Hi, guys. Andy simpson Piri. So I am the group CTO for CyberFort. I'm in charge of all of the group's products and services for CyberFort in terms of where we are today and where we want to be able to take the business into the future. Prior to CyberFort, in fact, this is a, a recent engagement for me. Prior to CyberFort, I was one of the key purchasers for the private banking arm of Lloyds Bank, as well as Zurich Insurance Company and a number of other true global corporates and global consultancies. So I've had to deal with small-scale partner relationships all the way through to billion-dollar partner relationships and all of the challenges and all of the value both of those bring.
3: This is Keith Pringhoffer. Will, thanks for uh, for having us. And Alicia, thanks for having me uh, represent Microsoft. I run a strategic account-based marketing team for uh, Microsoft US or North America subsidiary. My team's charter is really how do we drive growth within our largest key accounts and, um, and share a voice as well. So um, how do we really focus at the tip of the spear to, to uh, make the market, to help us drive revenue and business outcomes for our customers? And I've been uh, been with Microsoft for 15 years and in very different uh, capacities. So both on the product side, as well as now, obviously on the pure on the marketing side, uh, working hand in hand with, with, with customers and sales
1: teams. Great. Thank you. I'm hoping that we have Guy Phillips on the line, who is um, Consulting Director at Momentum. And, and so we'll loop Guy in as well. Guy works with, with all of our clients and spends a lot of time um, talking to our client sales teams and is very plugged into what's going on with the customers that our clients are trying to reach. So Guy, I'm, I'm gonna ask you to join in if that's okay and to and to provide that kind of voice of the buyer that that, that that's so crucial for this session, if that's all right.
4: No problem at all, happy to be with you.
1: Great. So um, let's get into the questions then. Thanks, thanks for sending some through, guys, on on the chat. I think we should start with with this kind of insight around you know the, the past six to eight months creating a, a group of distressed buyers. Um, and I might just start by asking you, Andy, do you think of yourself as a distressed buyer? Luckily, no, <laughs>
2: but I have worked with with partners that have experienced some of the frustrations that that, that you've talked about and. Um, that a number of us are thinking about in the background. A lot of people are worried about where their businesses are going to go this year. Well, for the remainder of this year and also into next year. And they're, they're struggling to see that they can actually make the growth targets that they've predicted to themselves, their board, their investors, etc., into the next three to five years. So although we're, well, we're, we're not distressed, luckily, but although there are a number of non-distressed people there are today, I think if you ask the same question in January next year, the level of distress across the economy is going to rage dramatically so I think this this research is imperative for people to take stock and think about you know how, how can they work better with their customers their partners and their suppliers not just this year but
1: over the next three to five years as well. Okay great Thank, thanks for that and Keith I, I don't know um, if, if you have a perspective on this distressed buyer insight and whether that resonates and um, with what you're seeing with, with your customers and I suppose particularly be great to hear are there sort of specific experiences um, that you've had where customers have voiced some of these frustrations that the research identified?
3: Yeah, um, you know, interestingly, I, you know, I think at the, you know, if we go back six to eight months, you know, so many customers were just in, in in that respond phase, right, like you had to react. And so interestingly, like, while I think there was a lot of distress. There was also a lot of just people, you know, having to just dive in and figure out how do we solve problems. And so we saw a lot of engagement on that front end uh, as we look six to, to nine months back. And so I don't, you know, it's interesting. I think uh, Andy's, to Andy's point, I think we'll start to see some of that distress build. And I think more so, I, I don't know if I'd even frame it in terms of distress in terms, but rather like, where am I going to put my focused investments as I look at recovering and reimagining the business? And I think You know, there does become stress in terms of, all right, which you know, which vendors am I going to go with? Where am I going to go put maybe my limited capital investment um, that I know I'm going to have into the next year? So I think we're starting to see some of that, but it pop up more. I would almost say a little bit more of a positive. In terms of it's not just hey like being reactive but it's like where am i going to go put that investment choice what are the solutions and capabilities i need to build but you know that can be just distressing as not knowing where to go or knowing where to go at that point in time so i agree with andy i think it's going to build but but the engagement i would say is is higher in some ways than we've ever experienced with our customers and clients
1: okay great thank you and i'm just i'm curious to know if if there's anything in particular that's worked um, from your perspective andy around this kind of idea that the the sort of informal conversations that buyers and vendors are used to having aren't aren't so possible these days is there anything that that you've you've experienced over over the last few months that you feels kind of worked very particularly well to replace that or is that still a big gap and and something that that you're missing
2: Yes, a very good question. And uh, I think there's two answers to that, actually. So first of all, technology. So Microsoft and and Zoom have pushed two well-established technology platforms completely into the forefront. And they've absolutely transformed the way that we talk to our partners. And a lot of people around the world have talked to their partners. So the positive is that people are still able to have those conversations they're not so isolated as we would have been five years ago without this technology so we are still able to have those conversations on the flip side of that is the the water cooler type conversations those informal conversations where you're outside of an office as you can see i'm actually in the office but outside of the office where you can have a bit more of an open conversation where you can meet somebody in a bar in a restaurant and just have that that level of conversation that you can't typically have in the office. For me, I think that that level of informal conversation has definitely decreased. And if I was going to give one takeaway to the audience is how can we all work together as an economy to be able to bring that back? I don't know. I don't, I'm sure nobody has a, a looking glass. I don't know where COVID is going to go next year. But I don't think this situation is going to change anytime soon. So I think we need to take stock of how we actually interact both formally and informally. Does that sort of make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we're still learning still, we're still, uh, together aren't we to a, to a degree um, yeah
2: absolutely I, I think this is new to all of us the technology is fantastic but the culture and, and the way that we work is new to everybody
1: right, right. and, and uh, Keith is, is, is there anything that you you've managed to successfully change about how you interact with uh, with customers that, that is more informal
3: yeah you know I, I think we talk a lot about uh, the whole sense of digital fatigue, and um, you know everybody's talking about that, and, and whether that's I think formal or informal over over the you know the, the technologies and, and being virtual. Um, I think one of the ways that we've started to overcome that in, in some aspect is how we're actually producing and 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 what we're producing from a content and a messaging perspective, and where we're doing that a little bit more on our side is really thinking through how do we tell things through you know through videos through stories storytelling becomes so much more important than it had in the past. And a lot of that storytelling happened at the water cooler at, you know, kind of at the bar as Andy was talking about. So how do we capture that in a video, right? So that people can consume it and, and see some of that informal dialogue, the aspiration that you get from a storytelling. So we're putting, starting to put a little more focus there and starting to see some early success in terms of getting the right engagement. I think getting to that level of keeping things, keeping things interactive, keeping people, open about the dialogue and, and so that storytelling, whether I think it's video and, and potentially written and print um, uh, will do it, but that video aspect is becoming more important and a, and a bigger investment for us to to enable that.
1: Interesting, yeah, so you, you're sort of pivoting, you're taking the insight and, and pivoting what you do with some of your mark-ons to, to be more human and and, uh, and emotional, it sounds like.
3: Yeah, most definitely.
1: Thanks, guys. Well, look, I think i to just to change tack a little bit now, and and uh, and and change change the the theme of these these questions to, to talk about the, the, the point about insight that the Robert took us through. And um, Guy, I'm going to bring you in at this point, if that's okay, and I'll ask you a very tricky question, which is if you could give us a sense of why you think it is that why it's a problem that vendors have less insight than they did previously.
4: Thanks for throwing me the tricky question. Will. Yeah, I think the um well I, I, in a way I think it's related to what we've just been discussing. I think the the great thing about those water cooler chats were that 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 a that a sales individual would be able to actually interrogate the customer and actually get that insight and get that kind of information in a very informal way. And now I think the onus is on the vendors to try and be proactive and be almost like one step ahead of what that problem might be because ultimately buyers, particularly at the moment, just don't have, you know, weeks and and, and and days to actually explain everything over and over again to a bunch of people from a vendor organisation. So I think, you know, it's the first rule of selling anyway, isn't it? Is the more the more research, the more insight you have, the better you'll be able to sell. But I think the onus is on us to be even sharper in that now than we ever have been before.
1: Great. And, and Andy, do you, do you have a perspective on that? Have you had any experiences where um, a vendor has just really been off the pace when it comes to understanding your business and, and lacking in insight? site and that's affected the the conversation you've had with them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's two examples of that. So the first is established partners. I think that quite a lot of partners that I've worked with over the last year have felt a lot more disengaged with the direction of business than they were a couple of years ago. And I think that is, is purely a factor of everybody is scrabbling. Everybody's working very hard to try and maintain some sort of level of consistency in this crazy world at the moment. And the, se- the second Pieces, is new vendors, new partners that have made contact with me. LinkedIn is hilarious in terms of introductions. It, it provides some fantastic introductions, but I then also get introductions from people that have just completely taken the wrong concept of what you know my, my, my business is and are trying to sell me something that just isn't relevant at all. And I think that is again, it's, it's it's a byproduct of everybody just trying to sell, sell, sell as hard as they can, instead of taking a step back and trying to find out and engage at the right level. In fact, engage at the level that Guy was talking about, you know, build that human relationship and not that monologue, but, by that, but engage in that bi-directional relationship. Because ultimately, I don't think one way sales works that well anymore. It's, you know, how can we work together? So Mm-hmm. If I, if, yeah. if you're going to sell me something, I might be able to sell you something or vice versa.
1: How do we work together to help strengthen the economy? Really interesting. Yeah. And, and Keith, I don't know if you have a perspective on, on that side of things and, and where you've had a successful sort of value exchange type conversations with customers and 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 the spirit of the conversation is more being around partnership.
3: Yeah, you know, we see a lot of that in terms of starting to bring more of our subject matter experts, even our, our own line of business leaders into some of the conversations to talk, not just partnership and like, hey, how do we partner? But how are we solving? How are you? What are the challenges you're facing? How are we facing? How are we addressing those challenges? So. I think looking across your organization and saying, hey, like who might be on point for having some of those conversations is really changing. And it's not, you know, it it can't be the seller all the time or then the key account executives who, those conversations used to happen in different places where you would make those informal connections. And, And right now it's the, in so many ways, the account executive or the account director is on point and you have to figure out how do you surround them with the right people to have those types of partnership conversations. And so I think it it is successful. It's just a matter of how do you scale that? You know, and one other thing I would add that I think puts a lot of pressure a little bit on the system for any company is that now more so the seller is that single point of contact So he or she has to have so much more knowledge and insight than before. And and can they actually deliver on that if you have a broad portfolio of products and services? And that's a lot of pressure for a sales team. So I think where marketing can really support is thinking through, all right, who are the right subject matter perspectives to go engage in this conversations? An architect, where are you at in that buyer journey? So you're bringing the right resource to address the customer both where they are in the most efficient way possible. Also, you don't want the seller to be on the front end of, hey, great conversation. Now let me go back and find out who's the right person to bring in. It's those cycles are taking too long. And and so really marketing has a great opportunity to be almost a matchmaker at the front end to figure out what is the right type of interaction and what's the right where are they at in the buying cycle and who who should have the conversation and what should the conversation be at this point in time so it may not be your typical peer marketing you know in terms of content production or or marcom or anything like that it could be just a lot of matchmaking and really helping think through what does that engagement need to look like versus what is the content that we need to produce to support it.
1: Okay, great. That's that. I mean, I think that's a really interesting thought about the role of marketing in, in joining the dots and orchestrating that cross-functional team across products and services. And it'd be great to come back to that in a second, but just to kind of close out this discussion, I'd love just to get a tip from each of you for the, for the audience on, on the call if you could if you could give everybody a, a tip on how to close that gap on the buyer understanding of sorry on the vendor understanding of the buyer what what would you say would be a sort of a, a, a great way of closing that gap in terms of a practical tip um, maybe guy you could start
4: i was hoping you'd leave me last because <laughs> my 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 uh, employing momentum abm is obviously my very simple answer but um that, yeah, that's, that's not not exactly the right response for you there i think the um the the thing that the thing that always interests me about this is actually collaboration with the ven- within the vendor's own business i work quite a lot with kind of industry segmented sales teams and I think it's really interesting how, you know, some of those industries, as we touched on, are going through some significant distress, not, not necessarily always in their business, but in terms of the way they're working. If you've been used to going to a campus, if you've been used to having everybody on one side, and as Andy touched on, you know, all of those kind of collaborative conversations that happen organically, suddenly you're, you're really challenged in, in understanding how to do that. Now, the sales teams in the vendors tend to be culturally aligned to those clients. So they're used to going to the manufacturing site, to the campus, to the engineering works to talk to their buyers. And obviously, that's not happening anymore. But within the same vendor sales team, there's probably somebody who's used to handling media companies or used to handling tech companies who doesn't work that way, who probably works with you know, clever whiteboarding tools like Miro or works in LinkedIn all the time or does all of their engagement socially. So the skill set is probably within the business. It's just not necessarily aligned to the customers. And so that kind of internal knowledge share is is ever more important within the vendor than, than probably it was, you know, 12 months ago.
1: Okay, great. Really interesting. Um, and Andy, do you do you have a, a thought on how how a buyer, how a vendor could get closer to you as a buyer? Yeah, and I'm going to actually be a bit cheeky
2: and steal a bit of Guy and a bit of Keith's answers already, <laughs> because they're, they're really perniant, to be honest. So I would say have shorter, but more often communication touch points with, with people. So don't have two hour long meetings because on a video call, everybody will be asleep. Have much shorter meetings, much more uh, matter of fact calls with people, but more often. Try and facilitate those more informal calls. Instead of scheduling a call, pick up the phone and try and have more informal touch points. As Keith said, focus a lot more on changing the content and changing the delivery methods of that content. So video is very key. You can get a huge amount of information across extremely quickly with video do that uh, and I, I won't repeat what Guy just said but um, the last point was um, exactly what just what he just
3: articulated
1: great thank you and, and Keith t- a tip from you if you will I guess I would
3: agree with everything Guy and, and Andy said you know I guess the other thing I think to help make that that connection is what's unique like how do you bring a unique perspective and so so one tip I would say is how do you look at adjacent industries and say what what's one person doing in one area that I can bring to my customer um, bring to my client that they may not have thought about and looked at. So I think that is just, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in sales, whether you're consulting, look for inspiration in odd places that you can bring to your customer, or maybe they aren't so odd, but look in places that you wouldn't traditionally look to bring that insight and inspiration to your customer. And I think that helps build the partnership and the dialogue um, because you're bringing an interesting point of view and a, and a, and a different con- a different angle to the conversation.
1: So I'm really enjoying this guys, thank you very much for your, for your um, great answer so far. I just want to just come back to that um, thought about cross-functional, cross-fertilization and, and having um, giving the buyer a joined up experience. And, and making sure that that happens and then let's let's move on to talk about content because there have been quite a few good questions about that come through on the q a um, and i'm conscious that time is whizzing by so j- just quickly just coming back to that that cross-functional point do, do you guys have a view on uh, on 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 that and i know keith you've spoken about it already but may, maybe andy you could talk a little bit around are, are there things that you guys do successfully at CyberFort to make sure that you're you're joined up internally and could could vendors be learning from you about how, how they how you manage that fantastic plug for cyber thank you <laughs> <laughs> i think
2: internally what we've done that work were very well and this internally in turn is a plug for microsoft actually is we before coronavirus actually happened we invested massively in, in a technology refresh and we invested massively in changing the culture to to move to more of a virtual type culture where you could work anywhere, anytime using anything but be proactive along those sides. So we started to foster those conversations. And as a result of doing that, we've had a lot more impromptu meetings and a lot more knowledge shares across the group. So we we hold strategy leadership team meetings, which don't just include the strategic leaders and it don't just include the exec or the senior leadership team. Now, we try to include everybody in the business in those meetings. And the reason isn't simply to waste people's time, it's to get cross-fertilization because both Keith and Guy have mentioned this is somebody over there might know something about a certain industry that I don't know, for example. And if you have those short conversations, you can gain that knowledge and actually work together to be able to foster a better relationship with that partner.
1: Great, thank you. Um, and, and Guy, I know you mentioned just a second ago that you know you work with a lot of, of clients who have you know complicated internal structures and, and silos and so on. did you have a view on on what's what what connects those silos up? most effectively
4: i i think it's it's ostensibly what we've been discussing uh and and you know communication is nearly always the word that gets thrown around when a company is struggling bad communication is what everybody usually focuses on but you know that that sense of breaking down silos breaking down those kind of functional little roadblocks is all about good communication and i think i to steal now a little bit from andy i think that kind of Proactive, short communication—you know, having something that's really pithy that you know your colleagues can help with—and I think you know Keith will have experienced this. Just having a sales and marketing team talking to each other once, twice a week about the issues of what's going on and how they can fix them—you know, those little, those little check-ins are just so much more valid now than they, you know, than they ever were before. Because we don't—I was thinking about this the other day. We don't overhear conversations anymore, do we? You know, when you're in an office, you overhear stuff. Now you're not overhearing it, so, so how do you make sure that you can check in on what everybody else is doing? And I think that communication just has to be stepped up.
1: Okay, great, thanks. Okay, look, I'd love to just spend a bit of time talking about um, content and, and, and what you guys have seen as, as working most effectively throughout this time. And there's two particular a- areas um, I'd love to just to focus on based on some of the, the questions that are coming through. The first question is just about the frequency of contact and communication. It seems clear from the research that you know, that, that buyers are looking for more frequent um, cons. But do you have any specific advice? Maybe, Andy, you could start on how frequent (laughs) um, and what sort of shape that should that literally take?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I I would say that it does need to be frequent. So monthly is too infrequent. I would say weekly is probably good, but... If you just spam somebody with general information every week, they're, they're just going to either put you in the junk box or um, they'll just tune out to it, which is essentially what happened to generic webinars back in May. I don't know if people noticed this, but there seemed to be a prolification of tens of thousands of webinars appearing all over the place for generic topics. And people just tune off and, and stop joining them. So I think more frequent communication, but tailored to that specific customer. So it, let's say you've got Five customers in five different industries. Don't release one communication for everybody because that's not going to work. Tailor five different communications that make sense and actually get to the point of what the what those customers are looking for. I know what, what's their what's their current pain, what's their current challenge. What, what are they? Where are they looking to innovate? Where are they looking to change? Everybody's looking for the next step up next year. How can their partners work with them on that? So those communications need to be targeted, but also you know, be frequent so you're not forgotten about in that midst of, you know, technology
1: communication overflow that we're all sitting in today okay great thank you and and personalization and, and creating relevance through that that is another big theme that came through from, from the findings I, I don't know keith if, if you have a perspective on on what what level of personalization is the right level what what do you in your experience are buyers expecting are there kind of optimum levels of personalization
3: gosh yeah you know i think you know you can either you can go to either extreme. You can go to the point of, you know, personalizing down to the level of the insight and what you're communicating. Is it accurate in the eyes of the customer? So you try to get so personalized that when it lands, it actually lands flat because you don't know as much as you really think you know um, about the customer. So, you know, what we look at like from a personalization is, uh, you know, how do we align around the either beyond industry, but what is the specific use case or scenario and really try to then personalize down to that level, but in, in the context of, of the client or the customer, but really thinking about it, use case scenario and not going any deeper than that in terms of personalization, you know, partially because one, like you may be really off or you actually may send the customer down the wrong path in terms of the conversation that they want to have. And just interesting I'll share is we started to have some conversations around supply chain with a large global company with their supply chain leadership. And ultimately, the conversation ended up going down a completely different path in terms of where they wanted to focus. Now, we entered the conversation at a high enough level that we were able to then adapt and move forward. And now we're driving outcomes in a different, completely different space than you would have thought that the solution would have gone. So I think that's where it's it's the balance of don't get so far, you know, over, over your head that what you communicate is so narrow and specific that there's no opportunity to have that collaboration um, and that open dialogue because you've kind of painted yourself into a box or a corner because you've gotten so focused.
1: Okay, so um, last question from me then, because we're heading to the top of the hour, and and this is, I think, this has come through on the Q and A, and I think it's a really interesting one to close on, which is a very personal one, which is where are you guys um turning to for help and advice at this time are you getting help from your peer network are you attending events what what sort of are the are the most important relationships to you in this um, time that we're in and uh, if, if each of you could just just give, give me a, a thought on that that'd be fantastic so maybe starting uh with you Andy yeah um and it, you're right, it's, it's very personal. And I'm sure all of our
2: opinions will will actually vastly differ on this one. But for, for me, it's the peer network. Being able to reach out to these trusted contacts that I've known for weeks, months and years, and actually just having formal sounding block conversations, you know, this has happened what do you think about this or i'm experiencing this what should i do and just have an open honest conversation with them so it's de- so definitely my peer network
1: how about you keith yeah
3: i mean I'd second definitely peer network um the other uh, place though is relationships with people in the same field doing the same thing but that i do not even have a have an existing relationship with and learning from what they are doing. So it's almost, I guess it's a new peer network, not established relationships, but new ones. I'm finding that there's much more open dialogue and I'm learning a lot more from from those folks than than sometimes I am from my existing relationships. And maybe that's because they're already established, but uh, new people to talk with um, within the same uh, same industry or, or trying to solve the same cha- challenges.
1: Great. Thank you. And Guy? Uh, a composite of
4: the two, actually. So uh, I, I do my best not to stay in too much of a bubble and talk to people who are doing the same thing as me all the time. So getting out and talking to people in you know different industries in different sectors obviously friends of mine in, in my peer network but people who may be not doing exactly the same sort of thing as I am just so I can get that kind of wider perspective.
1: Great thank you very much well look unfortunately we're out of time uh, on the Q&A thank you very much uh, Andy, Keith and Guy really appreciate you joining us and giving us your insight uh, and I'm handing back to Alicia now uh, just to close out the session.
5: Thanks very much guys that was a fasc- fascinating discussion lots of fresh perspective there, there. and I think for, for me on the t- data that there's a big contradiction here that your accounts are keener to hear from you than ever before, but they don't want to be sold and marketed to. And I just thought we'd finish on a quick recap of some of the, the actions that, that Robert shared. When you're thinking about your marketing and sales planning for your key accounts, don't just shout louder. Think about value over volume for the sake of it, but keep it focused on the customer. Second thing that uh, Robert touched on and, and we haven't talked too much about is is this idea of innovation. Many of the accounts industries we all know are shifting faster at a rate, faster than they've ever done before. How, how can you be inserting yourself in that innovation uh, conversation? And I think we're, we're, we've all been focused on the here and now that mm-hmm. has been been lost a little bit, but your accounts are definitely wanting to hear, hear more about that And then this third idea of making sure that you're adapting, flexing your marketing strategy, depending on where your accounts are. And we've talked a little bit about this distressed buyer concept, but not not all companies have adapted to this way of working. Fourth takeaway, I think the panel have have touched on this quite a bit. This is it's not about a a one sided conversation. Uh, Make sure that when you're thinking about your marketing activities, your sales activities, it is a dance with your accounts. It has to be a continuous dialogue, not not just a one-sided um, either communication or campaign activity. And then the fifth and final point, um, we, we've touched on quite a bit, you know, custom content still playing uh, a central role, keep, keep it front front and center. Fantastic discussion. I'm just going to finish on what's happening next. Uh, we will be sharing a full report based on everything you've heard in the coming days uh, so that we've made available to everybody that's attended and be published on our website, wearemomentum.com. The second thing that uh, we've made available is using the data as a pattern. We've essentially got a benchmarking tool where we can take in your key and strategic accounts and tell you which accounts are most likely to be in that distressed category and how it should inform your strategy. So if that's something you want to take up, happy to pick that up in a separate discussion, uh, look at your account list and and run it through the tool. And then the third thing that was hugely valued after the June wave uh, that we shared was this kind of deeper dive into the data, but also what can it mean in terms of some of the actions that you're doing and and how can it shift your sales and marketing strategy? So um, having a, a separate deep dive planning session is something that we we did over the summer and and we're doing over the coming month and a half so please get in touch with, with any of those actions we're here and available and thank you for joining us today
0: thanks so much to our panelists for sharing their expert insights visit we are momentum to download the latest report and also see details of our up and coming events and i'll see you next time This podcast is brought to you by Momentum, the B2B growth consultancy and pioneers of account-based marketing. You can learn more at wearemomentum.com.